Blog Talk Radio. Welcome one and all. This is your host, Robert Rogers. I am the founder of Parkinson's Recovery in 2004. Parkinson's Recovery provides support information and resources to individuals who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's disease and, of course, their family members. Support is provided through courses, through blogs, through all sorts of teleseminars, and, of course, through this radio show you're listening to at this very moment. I have a famous guest for the radio show today, Tom House is an individual who was a major league pitcher and has had a fascinating career. Tom, thank you so much for being a guest on the radio show today. Can you hear me all right? Now we can hear you. Thank you for being a guest. I just said, hey, thank you for having me on. Um, Happy Friday. Let's have some fun with it. So, Tom, tell us all about yourself. All right. Before that, I'm at my dad's house. He's 97 and doing just as well as, well as I am. His alarms go off. He can't hear them. There. I'm, I'm silent now. Okay. Um, yes. What would you like me to talk about real quick? Well, just uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. All right. Well, um I heard you say I was famous. You know, that's a relative term, but the bottom line is um, I was lucky enough to uh, be a student athlete and end up making a living being an athlete. Um, I went through the same rigmarole that every kid does that dreams about pitching in the big leagues or being an NFL quarterback, little league, high school, college. Um, As it turned out, uh, my mom had a rule, no A, no play, So I kept going to school while I was playing, and at the end of my major league pitching career, when I went into coaching, um, I had a doctorate and three other degrees, and um, basically, instead of just being a coach, I became a performance analyst, not knowing that eventually uh, my number one client would be me. Did that make sense, what I just said? It did indeed. So who did you pitch for? I, I pitched professionally for the Atlanta Braves, the Boston Red Sox, and the Seattle Mariners. That was my playing career. And then I coached with the Astros, the Padres, and the Texas Rangers. So very blessed. I actually have 25 years in the major leagues as either a player or a coach. So I got to live my dream. You indeed have been living your dream. I think you have a story about Hank Aaron. Oh, yeah, you've done your homework. I'll tell you what, I'll pal around with you anytime. So, you know, when, when you get a little older and you look back, you have a tendency to remember big and in some cases uh, tell little fibs like my wife is always accusing me of. Well, my big fib is actually true in that I'm in the Hall of Fame because when I was with the Atlanta Braves, As a bullpen pitcher, I was in the Atlanta Brave bullpen in left field when Henry Aaron hit his 715th home run, the one that jumped him ahead of uh, Babe Ruth. So I caught it, ran it back in, and gave it to him. And that that one little thing um, got me in the Hall of Fame and made me a trivia question 
And it's the good news is that was the highlight of my major league career. That's also the bad the bad news. That was the highlight of my major league career. Who are you coaching now? Well, um, the fun stuff is I get to coach all different sports. I actually have clients. Our expertise, Robert, is in rotational sports. So anybody that throws or swings at something is a potential client. And I deal primarily with major league pitchers, NFL football players, and PGA Tour pros. So I've got some headliners that are really good athletes, strong profiles, and we use what we gain from them, the information and instruction we use with them, actually trickles all the way down to youth sports. They become the benchmark, the model, by which we teach mechanics, strength, mental, emotional, and nutritional. So it's a pretty interesting little gig. You are a very, very successful athlete who also is an individual who has been experiencing Parkinson's symptoms. Was that a surprise? It was. Um, about nine, maybe ten years ago, um, throwing batting practice is when I first noticed that there, something wasn't right. Uh, I've been able to throw strikes virtually blindfolded my whole life, and all of a sudden I'm struggling to get the ball over the plate even in batting practice. And then small things, um, I found that as an instructor, you know, you have to talk a lot, and I was having trouble projecting my voice and then writing letters and, and signing baseball cards. I noticed that, the, you know, it just wasn't – it was like I wasn't hooked up. But I didn't know what it was. So in going around and trying to get answers for what I was experiencing, I was probably misdiagnosed for – three years, maybe four years, before the Parkinson's diagnosis actually came through where um, everybody agreed that that's what it was. So a little disappointing diagnosis to get, but that began some actually fun stuff that is I, I hope we can talk about today that uh, I'm really encouraged, even though I do have Parkinson's. Some listeners are up-and-coming baseball players and perhaps football players. You obviously have many, many different suggestions for the individuals who are at the top of their field, those that you coach. But if there would be one suggestion that you would make to an individual who is an aspiring major league pitcher to be able to really pitch those balls the way they need to be pitched, what would it be? I'll tell you what, Robert, what I would do is I would give that one thing depending on their age. If they're 12 years or younger, they're in what we call a neurological stage where all they're trying to do is get their nerves to talk to their muscles. In that age group, I, I tell them two things. Have fun. That's number one. And number two, throw a whole bunch but don't pitch a lot. In other words, the biggest problem that youth baseball has, 12 and under, 
is they pitch too much and they don't throw enough. So my coach, my teach, my advice to the 12 and under kids would be have a great time doing, have fun doing it with your buddies and spend a lot of time throwing but not a lot of time pitching. That would be for that age group. For the 13 and older, when hormones, growth hormones, testosterone, estrogen start showing up, male or female, that's when they can start actually engaging muscle into the equation. And that usually is about a four-year little process. So after four years of engaging muscle, now we've got skill we can work on. So the 18 to 32-year-old would be skill acquisition, and that's when you can start specializing. The 32 and older is skill retention, and when I deal with that age group, I literally just have them try to hang on to what got them to be good until they were aged 32, 33. I hope that made sense. It does indeed. I'm your host, Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery. My guest today is Tom House. Tom, how did you discover firsthand the connection between Parkinson's and exercise? Well, Robert, it, it didn't come easy. I, you know, when I, like everybody that when, when they're first diagnosed that they have Parkinson's, there's a little frustration, a little anger, a little depression, a lot of stuff. But what I noticed in my given days, that the only time I, I actually felt normal or felt close to being normal was right after I worked out. I'm a, I'm a workout freak. I mean, I really, really, um, I, wor- I, I haven't missed a workout basically since 1961. So I figured, okay, I feel almost normal after a workout, there has to be something going on here. So uh, I asked questions. I went to smart people. I did research. And I found out that, you know, the dopamine issue, the brothers and sisters and cousins of dopamine are in caffeines, endorphins, epinephrines, all the really cool hormones that come with exercise. So I figured... I'm losing dopamine or I've only got X amount, but what I do have, if I shore it up with exercise, then maybe I can hold my own. And it's turned out that that worked. And then we also got lucky with, I think what they're calling neurofeedback. A buddy of mine has technology with is what they call focus band. And it's like an MRI for the brain where you can remotely see exactly what the brain is doing, thinking, feeling, attention span, brain waves, and you can monitor it, you can quantify it. And what I found out, that if you monitored your physical activity with your brain activity, you could actually train based on where you were with your Parkinson's progression and maybe not cure it, but at least hold your own. And with that in mind, I've pretty much held my own for the last five years. I haven't gotten any worse. Obviously, I, I'm not cured, but I haven't gotten any worse. So the, 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 one of the reasons I'm really enjoying being able to talk to you is we actually have a protocol, a program, 
will we match neurofeedback with physical activity? And it seems to help Parkinson's people not get worse with their symptoms, feel better about their anger, and not get depressed. For me, that's a home run across the board. Neurofeedback, then, is a big part of your new program. It's something that's integrated into exercise. Tell us a lot more about that. Well, it's you know, neurofeedback has been around. Uh, I first saw it about 23, 24 years ago when they started doing, like, um, flight simulation and virtual reality stuff and monitoring what the individual that was being trained what his brain waves were doing. But that was a sit down and you have to, basically you're locked into a position. Well, with, with, with this new technology with focus band, it's just like a headband that you see uh, a basketball player way, wearing, put it on, and it sends remotely to a computer or anybody that's monitoring exactly what's going on with this individual's feeling and thinking attention span, and the monitoring of both. So now you get exactly what your brain is doing, matching it up with what your body is doing, and the efficiency of that equation is really, really helping the Parkinson's gang that's working with us and our just-do-something-everyday protocols. The protocol's name is, as you just mentioned, Just Do Something Every Day. Now, you've done that, as you've just mentioned, since 1961, but how do you motivate somebody else to just do something every day? Well, hopefully you do it by example. One thing I have learned as a long-term coach, people show up with X amount of motivation. You're, you're probably you're not going to get much more out of that individual than the motivation they show up with. What I try to do is not demotivate them. So if they can see progress in someone else and they have a little empathy and understanding with the information and the instruction, they'll give it a try. And all I'm asking is, is if they, they don't have to commit to six months right now, but commit to whatever capacity they have in a given day. Say they can only give, if you and I were talking and you asked me, if Robert asked Tom, what would I do? i say, Robert, how much are you willing to give to this protocol today? If you said 10 minutes, we can mix and match, cherry pick, so to speak, 10 minutes of the activities that are in the protocol and you will feel better for the experience. Hopefully that feeling will get you to try it again tomorrow. And eventually you'll find that what you commit to, you come out the other end feeling better for the experience, now we've got you. The key is, like everything, getting it started. It goes back to laws of physics. An object at rest wants to stay at rest. Once you start moving... You can maintain that movement by just keep moving. So that's all we're after. There's nothing magic. It isn't high intensity. It's all supported by either the floor, a chair, or a wall. My 97-year-old dad, he hasn't got Parkinson's, 
but he does a lot of the same protocols because at his age, balance and movement are one of their biggest issues. It works for any individual at any age, no matter what their symptoms are. There is a part in the process that they can cherry pick from and actually watch what their brain does. Um, I'm really excited about it. We're probably another 10 to 12 actually measuring and quantifying to have a sample that we can say is a legitimate trial. But the the initial go-around, it's worked for all the guys, all my buddies, and now we're just quantifying to have a deliverable to throw it out there and hopefully um, make just not just our little circle and our little integrated group, but everyone involved in Parkinson's as a complement to what they're already doing. I hope that made sense. You're listening to Parkinson's Recovery Radio. I'm Robert Rogers, your host, and my guest today is Tom House. What you're discussing then, Tom, it sounds like, is a very, very new and innovative program that is literally just being launched as we talk today. Would that be a fair conclusion? Yes, and I'm going to pat you on the back. Um, you're, fir- you're the first media person that we've talked to about this. I'm very proud of it because it's working. And the people that are out there listening, it's simple. It's something anybody can do. It isn't magic. It isn't some, you know, hyperactive, you know, going to physical deficit, anaerobic, crazy thing. It's something that any individual can do no matter where they are with their symptoms, no matter how old they are, no matter what functional strength or what physical condition they're in. If they'll just pick and choose some of it and try it a little bit every day, I'll guarantee, all right, my promise is that if you'll commit, that commitment will keep you as break-even and as motivated and positive about being where you are of anything we've run across in the Parkinson's profile. Tom House, you certainly have listeners' interest who would like to know more about the specifics of exactly what's involved. I understand there's an app and there's a focus band. Could you uh, lay out exactly what a person would uh, basically get and use in order to do your protocol? Now, remember, I'm just the coach in this. The marketing people and the salespeople Um, We haven't even got that force in place yet. I can't even tell you what it costs, but I do know this. And I think Sarah Kim, who is is helping me with the media and the the social networking, um, I I don't even have her contact numbers. So, Robert, I'm going to count on you to pick me up here. If when we're done talking or while we're talking right now, if you could give Sarah Kim's contact numbers or the gentleman that has come up with the focus band technology, Jason Goldsmith, those two individuals could probably give you cost, uh, you know, how long it takes to put it in your hands, 
the apps involved in going online and finding those apps. Um, there, uh, Jeff Seekendorf is the gentleman that has coordinated all the filming and the creating of the apps. I'm just talking about their genius and how they put all the marketing and the promotion together. I'm sorry I'm not prepared to give you where to go to get it. So I apologize for that, but I'm going to ask you for a little help that either when we're talking right now or after I come off the interview, that you direct them to either Jeff Seekendorf, to Sarah Kim, or to Jason Goldsmith. They will all have verse and rhyme on costs and how to, mar- and how to get it to them. Will you help me with that? Sarah Kim's email, and her, na- her name is spelled S-A-R-A, last name Kim, K-I-M, is the following. Sarah Kim 94 at M-E dot C-O-M. So that is, to say it slower, S-A-R-A-K-I-M 94 at M-E dot C-O-M. If I then can just get a sense of what's involved, it would sound to me like then if a person wanted to participate and be involved in this new and innovative program, they would need to have a smartphone, and then I guess they would be sent some sort of a focus band that they would put on their head. Would that be correct? Yes. It's an actual physical product, and there's a cost involved for the focus band. The app itself um, is pretty easily accessed. Um, obviously, anybody that's familiar with apps know that there's a little process to get to it. It's not that expensive, and the rewards for the commitment are off the charts. And I should when say you... this. Um, can I can I jump in real quick? What I do know is all of the proceeds, none of it is going into anybody, not into Sarah's pocket, not into my pocket, not in, not into Jason's pocket. It's going, it's going to Parkinson's research and specifically to helping um, its summit for stem cell and their research on stem cell and having stem cell uh, from, I think they take it from a person's skin, and that's the indications in all their primate trials is that there's a virtual 100% cure rate with the stem cell approach. So Summit for Stem Cell is the nonprofit that gives the research and hopefully that approach combined with the physical approach that we're doing will make everybody's life a little bit more manageable with Parkinson's. You and your team created something called crowd trialing. What exactly is that? I, and, again, now you're just talking to the old coach here. But what I understand from the marketing side of the equation, it's an opportunity for someone out there, whether they have Parkinson's or not, to get a hold of Sarah and say, hey, look, here's 50 bucks. Go have some fun with it. Or if you have so much money you don't worry about money, throw $5 million that way. The, the idea behind it is the people that are invested in the disease itself from either a medical standpoint or actually having it 
you know, having Parkinson's as part of their everyday life, this is a way to aim resources towards an eventual cure. Tom House, you've written a great deal on process versus outcome, and I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that. Well, this is now you're getting into my wheelhouse, Robert. I know this after 50 years in elite sports as a coach and a player, that outcomes, um, while nice, aren't as measurable and quantifiable as process. So if you have a win or a loss, um, it's nice to say I won and it's nice to say I lost, but that's the what. You want to quantify the why, and the why is the process. So the analogy I use all the time, I could go out on a local freeway, stop a truck driver, and say, would you like to play in the big leagues? And he said, yeah, that would be great. I'd love to. That's what he wants to do. But it's not what he needs to do to play in the big leagues. What this process that we're ta- that you and I are talking about is what an individual needs to do in his process to make sure that he has a better chance for a positive outcome. And that's where our focus has been. Everybody that I'm dealing with as we go after Parkinson's, everybody that I'm dealing with as we go after performance is process first, outcome second. Okay? So... To make sure I understand the difference, if I am attempting to be a pitcher and a successful pitcher in a baseball team, what I understand you're saying is I'm up there on the mound and I make a decision that what I need to do is to throw a strike to the batter. So what I'm going to then start thinking about is not strike, 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 but rather all of the intricate process that is involved in the movements of my body to throw that ball. Would that be a fair way to explain this? You're, yes, you're, you're dead on. It's frustrating in today's society is that kids get college scholarships and professional players get paid for outcome, but their outcome is dependent on process. And what we have found in elite sports is there's movement, strength, mal-emotional, and nutrition sleep that have to be put together for an individual to repeat a movement and have enough strength to do it for a season to have an outcome that will keep them in the big leagues. We've taken that same process and applied it to, to Parkinson's, and we've identified specific to the individual that if you follow this process mentally, physically, nutritionally, and biomechanically, all on the apps, all right there visible for an individual to see, to feel, and to do, then the outcome is there's no guarantees that you have a better chance for this positive outcome than if you do nothing. So if you follow the protocol, if you follow the process, and you just do something with it every day, I I can over, you know, you and me talking, if we were face-to-face, I would look you in the face and I'd say, Robert, if you do this, then you'll be better off at the end of the work today 
and more ready for tomorrow with your motivation than if you didn't do it. So again, just do something every day, follow the process, the neurofeedback combined with the physical activity. We're going to take a run at Parkinson's and hopefully get rid of it ASAP. To extend this entire idea to individuals who currently experience tremors and, let's say, mobility issues, then it seems to me your recommendation would be when a person wakes up in the morning, instead of saying to themselves, today, by God, I'm going to eliminate this tremor and I'm going to be running a marathon, what I think you're suggesting then is the intention should be, boy, I'm going to begin to take this protocol that I've received and focus on the process of what I need to do and not worry about what happens to the symptoms. Would that be a fair summary? That you hit it right. That, that was dead on. You know, everybody would love to be 100% like they, when they were 21 years old. Everyone would, would like to be fixed tomorrow. But that's something that can't be done. It's what is going on right now. It's this moment that you're after. And in this moment, I'm not going to try to run a marathon, but I'm going to take two steps further than I went yesterday. I'm going to try this movement. I'm going to push against the wall. I'm going to stand on one foot assisted on the chair. I'm going to actually watch what my brain is doing when I'm trying to do this. And all the stuff that I just talked about is manageable depending on the individual. Like there's one set of rules, there's one protocol, but there's millions of applications. It's personalized for you, Robert. It's personalized for me and a function of you just doing something every day. Okay? Many, many people with Parkinson's symptoms go into high anxiety and fear from time to time. They get this feeling that the symptoms are going to get much, much worse. Could you translate the kind of fear into, for example, what happens to a pitcher who's pitching in the ninth inning, the score is tied up, and basically one particular pitch may make the difference between whether you go into overtime or not. In other words, that's a situation where a pitcher who's not a professional might really get scared and go into fear. What do you do with that? How do you make sure that doesn't happen? Robert, you're making this really easy for me. Thank you very much. The performance anxieties of a quarterback or a pitcher that you're watching on television and the performance anxieties that a Parkinson's individual have are virtually the same. The psychoneurological, immunological feelings that go with performance um, are virtually the same. You can't visualize an outcome without putting a process. You can't achieve an outcome without doing something to get that outcome. And while you may never, ever be perfect again, you could be the best you that you could be at this moment in time. So that's for anybody that's out there that experiences anxiety, fears of how bad is it going to be, depression because you can't do what you did a year ago, all those feelings are, are basically managed so much better when you feel like you're going after a result with a process that you have confidence in. And it only works if you take advantage of the process. The outcome 
You can't wish away or wish in. What you can do is trust the process. And it goes back, way back. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're probably going to be right. But we try to provide with our Just Do Something Everyday protocols is that it gives you a chance to manage all those anxieties, all those frustrations, all those things that literally will consume you if you don't go after them with a positive approach and a good process. So in effect, think of yourself as competing against Parkinson's. I don't just compete. I try to go to war with Parkinson's every day. I mean, I'm a little bit out there when it comes to how I approach what I'm going through. I have not been passive since I first got diagnosed. For me, I'm in World War VIII on Parkinson's. I also don't ignore him. I bring him with me. I wake up every morning and I said, hello, Parkinson's, I see you. Be prepared, I'm coming after you hard. In other words, you don't want to ignore the fact that you have problems. But problem identification is way closer to a solution if you go after it aggressively. I hope I'm making sense. You're listening to Parkinson's Recovery Radio. I'm your host, Robert Rogers, founder of Parkinson's Recovery, and my guest today is Tom House. Our focus here in the recent discussion has been on process versus outcome. I suspect you might have a story about Nolan Ryan that's uh, specific to that particular topic. All right. I, yes, I do. And, and again, thank you for asking the questions. You basically you're setting me up perfectly here. But I have, I, I, I'm going to tell this story, and then I have to take my dad to the doctors. So here's the story. It's going to take about three minutes. Be patient with me. So Nolan Ryan is toward the end of his career We're with the Texas Rangers, it's midsummer, and anybody that's been in Texas in midsummer, it's hot, sweaty, muggy, the whole nine yards. Nolan, I believe, was 45, 45 years old at the time. His back had been bothering him all week. He had a bad left knee. He'd gone through his process, and he, he basically had warmed up to loosen up to go to the mound to get ready to go into a game. And when he got to the mound, I'm standing there like a pitching coach is supposed to do, watching him try to get loose to go in and compete in a ball game. And Robert, it was it was it was bad. I mean, he had no fastball. His breaking ball was bouncing in the dirt, and he his changeup sucked. And he's huffing and puffing, and all of a sudden he just picks up his coat and walks toward the clubhouse. And I, I basically I got a little nervous. I said, Nolan. What's going on? Where are you going? And he didn't say where. He just kept going. So I hustled down to the dugout to tell our manager at the time, Bobby Valentine. I said, hey, hey, Bobby, I think Nolan just quit. He said, what? Go find out what's going on. I'll get somebody going. We, this game is starting in three minutes. So I went from dugout up the tunnel to get to the, to the clubhouse, and I see Nolan's legs coming down the tunnel. So I know he's going to make the game. He didn't make the national anthem, but after the national anthem, he jogged out, all right, first inning, 13 pitches, three strikeouts. His worst fastball on the scoreboard was 95 miles an hour. Hit a couple of 96, 97s. 
And that was after, remember, how bad the warm-up process was to get in between the lines. So he sits down next to me in the half inning. I said, Nolan, what's going on? He said, Tom, I don't know, but this is one of them in our days. And he looks down the bench, and he said, boys, and everybody stops because Nolan is talking. He said, get me one. It's all I'm going to need today. And then, Robert, I don't know if you know what the zone is, but that's when superstar Nolan Ryan just went into the zone, whatever those elite guys go. Nine innings, no hits, 16 strikeouts, one walk. Off that horrible warm-up. So after the media blitz, after all, we're the last ones leaving the clubhouse, heading for the parking lot. And I said, Nolan, help me out. What went on? Why did you walk off the mound? He said, Tom, it wasn't getting any better in the bullpen. It had to be better in the game. And besides, and this is what I want the audience pleased to listen to. This came out of Nolan Ryan's mouth, superstar Hall of Famer. He said, and besides, I've done everything I could possibly do today to be the best I could be. If I hadn't wanted to work, I shouldn't have hired out, and he drove away. I sat in the car, wrote all that down, so that I, hopefully I could share, like I just done with you, what you just heard was a superstar talent on a really bad day, staying with process, believing in process, and coming up with an outcome because it was a great process. I honestly believe from the bottom of my heart that our just-do-something-everyday process will help you be the best you can be in your environment. And, Robert, that's why you and I were talking. I can't thank you enough for having me on your show. Tom House, on behalf of the many thousands of listeners of Parkinson's Recovery Radio, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for taking the time to be such an inspiration to so many who currently experience the symptoms of Parkinson's. Robert, thank you very much. I'll say a prayer for everybody. Thank you. I know that will be much appreciated. And Have a great day. That's you too, as and many blessings uh, uh, for your father as well. And that's what's happening on, you guessed it, the shores of the Puget Sound, where all the women are smart, all the men are handsome, and all the children are truly loved. Know that by virtue of the very simple fact that you have been listening to this motivating interview with former Major League pitcher Tom House and coach today, that you indeed are on the road to recovery. Many blessings. We look forward to connecting with you during our next inspirational Parkinson's Recovery radio show coming up next week. Good day.